All right, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Hallelujah, Lord. Ascended, risen Savior. Lord, as you have gone into heaven, send now your Holy Spirit among us so that your word this morning would be preached to the joy and edifying of your holy people so that in steadfast faith we may serve you and give witness to you and in the confession of your name before the world we may abide unto the end. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, they were bringing the plane in for a landing, the small jet, and a warning light went on that something was wrong with one of the rear doors of the plane, and so the pilot left the co-pilot, and he went back into the main cabin, and he checked the door, and sure enough, it wasn't latched tightly, and so he tried to fix it, and when he did, the door flew open, and the pilot sucked right out of the plane, and well, moments later, when they finally landed, they found the pilot alive believe it or not, clinging for dear life to the open door of that plane. He was holding on so tightly that they had to pry his fingers loose from the door. I don't know if that story is true or not, but it illustrates a couple words that open today's text. Because he, that's us, holds fast to me in love. Don't you think it provides a great illustration of what it means to hold fast to God? That's what God wants us to do, to, to cling to him the way that pilot was clinging to that door. He wants to be so central to our lives that we would let go of everything else rather than let go of Him. Because see, our life, our security, our eternity depend on Him. You know, that's, that's the message that we've been looking at in Psalm 91, and that's especially the, uh, the message that's at the heart of the last three verses that we're looking at today, verses 14, 15, and 16. See, God makes here eight wonderful, life-changing promises that we're, we're going to look at today briefly. But before we begin to look at those verses, I want to make two very important points. First, our faith is not the cause of God's goodness to us. Rather, by faith, we receive the benefits of God's goodness. See, God's good to you and me, (laughs) whether we have faith or not. God is always good. It's His nature. And our faith is is simply the, the hand into which God places His gifts. You know, the... uh, That pilot was apparently found clinging to a handle on the door. Well, the promises we're going to look at, these are the handles by which our faith clings to God. That's the first point. Second point, 
We can trust these promises. They're unconditional. They're not like the promises I described in in the children's message that we make and sometimes we don't keep, sometimes we break. They're not like when I, I promised my boys when they were young that we'd learn how to hunt and then I never kept that promise. No, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed to you, with Him it was not yes and no. But in Him it was always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. You know, as, as, as we read through these verses, you're never going to hear God add an if to His promise. There's not going to be any maybe I do this. He nowhere says, I might. No, to these eight promises, six times, God uses the the words, I will. So we're going to look at those promises. We're going to start looking at them briefly here. And the first one he says is, I will deliver him. Now, what does that mean? It means, literally, the word in the Hebrew means, I, I will, um, I'll help him escape. I'll set him free. Remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about how God rescues us from the fowler's snare. That's this word. Remember, the, the fowler's snare was kind of a, a metaphor for the traps that the enemy lays for us. Traps that he designs uniquely for each one of us. If, if alcohol is your problem, that's where he lays his trap. If it's gossip, then he focuses the trap for you on that, or lying, or lust, or greed. He designs his traps based on you. Well, Jesus Christ when he came into the world, came to set us free from those traps. That's why he walked among us. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he rose again. You know, anybody who's been trapped in alcoholism and is a recovering alcoholic, they will tell you that the only thing that really set them free was God's help, that without him, they are powerless because he delivered He sets free, and if the Son will make you free, you shall be free indeed. So that's the first promise. I will deliver him. The second one, I will protect him because he knows my name. I'll protect him. That word there means to set somebody up on high, out of reach. It means to pull somebody out of danger. If you, if you think about a fireman in, in Troy, I'm thinking of you this morning. What is a fireman? The first thing they do, they get to a house on fire. They make sure that everyone is safely out of the house. They get them out of danger, out of reach of the fire. That's what this word protect means. When I read this, I thought of a young man I knew in my first parish, his he had grown up the first years of his life in New York, and he'd gotten in trouble, and so his parents, to put him out of danger, and I think God was behind this as well, moved him to live with his grandparents in Nebraska to get him away from and protect him from friends that were leading him down a path that would have 
destroyed his life, I will protect him. When he calls to me, here's the next one, when he calls to me, I will answer him. You know, when you pray, you never get a busy signal. You know how when you call somebody and they're on their cell phone and you'll get one of those messages, call back later, I'm busy. Well, you never get that with God. When you and I pray, He listens. He hears. And He answers. It may not be the answer you were hoping for, but you can count on the fact that He answers and it'll be the right answer. It'll be the best answer. When you call, He answers. And He goes on. He says, I will be with Him in trouble. You know, this week I, I participated in a short little Bible study on the third chapter of Daniel. And I don't know if you know much about the third chapter of Daniel, but that's, that's the place where King Nebuchadnezzar is upset with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego because they've, they've, uh, not, they've refused to bow down and worship the idol that he set up. And so he has them thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, what, what he sees in that furnace startles him. He says, he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he said to them, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. That's our God, isn't it? The God who took on flesh and blood and lived for a while among us, who came in, who comes into the fiery furnace, who went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, who endured even death. That he might be with us. We talked about that this week at the communions on Thursday. We talked about the fact that he's walked around in our shoes. And so whatever your particular fiery furnace, be it this pandemic, may it be the grief of a loved one's death or cancer or looming surgery or the loss of a job, whatever your fiery furnace, yours is the God who promises, I will be with him in trouble. Wow. And it's because of that promise that he keeps the next two promises. He says, I will rescue him and honor him. Now that word rescue literally means he'll go to bat for you. He'll go into battle. He'll fight for you. You know, that's what God was doing. When, when he came in flesh and blood, you know that, don't you? When he went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he was going into battle for you and me. And when they arrested him and they lied about him and they tried him and he endured the cross and the shame, Jesus was going into battle for you and me. That by his death, the Bible says, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And when he rose on Easter morning, he was doing battle and defeating sin and death itself so that in him we are more than conquerors. You know, by doing that, 
He has honored you. Think about that. By the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has shown and made obvious how important you and I are to Him, even though we don't deserve it. That you and I are the apple of His eye, the desire of His heart. I love these words from 1 John. Behold, what manner of love, what honor the Father has shown us that we, of all people, should be called children of God. I will rescue Him and honor Him. Then the last two promises, right? With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. You know, that's two promises. The promise of a full life here. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a long life, but a full life here. And then the fullness of salvation, of the life in the world to come, the fullness of eternal life that God promises us. I remember a man, he said, Pastor, I used to think that if I could work hard on the farm and make good money and keep growing my farm, and if I had my health and could do this, I'd have a good full life. But you know, I found that the problem was that enough was never enough. It was always more. And then, Pastor, God took it away. He took away my ability to work. He took away my health, and he put me in this wheelchair. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, oh, no, don't be sorry. God used this to teach me something, that the fullness of life doesn't consist in what I have because those things can be taken away in a moment, just like Jesus said, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Fullness of life comes not from what I have, Pastor, but the fact that God has me. That in Him I have treasures that no one can take away, treasure in heaven. That's what Jesus is promising here. A life that satisfies. A life that is full. Folks, that's what God has been telling us as we've looked at the 91st Psalm these last weeks. And that's, that's the meaning of these eight promises. You know, I, I said at the beginning that God desires us to hold fast and to cling for all we've got to Him by faith. But you know what the truth is that these promises are saying? The truth is is that really what's happening, our security is found in the fact that God is holding on to you and me. So you and I are like the father and the little boy. I know I tell this story often, but I just love it. The father and the little boy walking down a sidewalk on on an ice icy cold day and the father says hey let me hold your hand so you don't slip and fall the little boy says no daddy let me hold your hand and he grabs hold of his father's hand and they walk on and they come to not sure enough to some ice and the boy's feet slip and slide and and down he goes because his hand isn't big enough it's not strong enough to hold on to his father's hand but then his dad says okay son let me hold your hand and he wraps his big hand around his little boy's hand and they go off and sure enough they come to some ice again and the little boy's feet slip and he doesn't fall 
But see, his father's hand is big enough and strong enough. Folks, that's what God is promising us. That he has taken his big, strong, nail-scarred, living, resurrected hands and wrapped them around us. Pandemics, layoffs, furloughs, illness, death, success, failure, good days, bad days, they come. And may, though we may try, our grip is never strong enough. But my friends, his is. He has hold of you and me. And he's big enough. Our God is strong enough to hold us fast. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God, which pass all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.